Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, thank you for your encouragement to our hearts. You are the encouragement to our hearts. You are our glory and the lifter up of our heads. And we thank you so very much. We're glad that you've spared us and you've kept us. And we believe it's for divine purpose. Help us, Lord, not to stray from the path of righteousness, but help us, Lord, to walk circumspectly, to walk with honor and integrity that you might get the glory and the honor and the praise in our lives. These individuals who are part of this session today, I ask that you would lift them up and that you would strengthen them in every way, in every way, Father, in every way. Help us to live the life that pleases you. Let us execute our professions with distinction and excellence in such a manner that it brings glory to our King, good to the people, and gratification to ourselves. And we'll give you praise for it. We welcome the spirit of God to teach us. I'm hosting this session, but we ask him to teach us out of the mighty word of God. And we give you praise. Amen and amen. Listen, um, I gave opportunity at the beginning of the first morning session. And that is uh, for those who have experienced mentorship yourself. That is, you have been mentored. Somebody helped to shape your life, and we all have, but um, someone has helped to shape your life, and there are some things that you learned in that experience that you share with others that perhaps you implement and employ in your own life as you attempt to mentor others. Remember that the title of our session, title of our ongoing series is knowing your assignment, knowing your assignment. And um, in knowing the assignment, if you look at the top of the screen here, it is to know one's assignment is to know one sender who gave you the assignment, myself, to know my superior within a system, to know my skills, to know my service, to know my scope, my schedule, my satisfaction, and within the satisfaction, my successors. And those who succeed you are those who we would trust that you would have mentored, you would have imparted unto. And so if there are some mentorship tips, maybe one, maybe two that you'd like to share, um, you may not be in position to call. You may only be in position to put it in the comments as uh, Brother Johnson did. But if you are in position to call, you're welcome. But listen, you've got to be brief. Our time is limited. And so you have to just sort of put it right there and, and then um, go your way. But if you are interested in doing that, we'd love to hear from you. It is the number on the screen, 775 799 Seven seven five seven nine 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 one one four. 
All right. So um, good to see everyone. Just white. God bless you. Sister Brown, God bless you. All right. So if there's anyone who'd like to get in on this part of it, uh, please do so right now while I'm speaking, because when we leave it, we won't be able to come back to it. In the meanwhile, um, we're going to go to the scripture where we're, we're um, looking at our, our object lesson, our personality study, our character study. His name is John the Baptist. And um, John the Baptist has been a fascinating study for me. I've never... I've never taught as extensively uh, or studies, studied as extensively about John the Baptist as I have during this period of time. So this has definitely been a blessing to me. I hope it's been to you on, on more than one level. Okay, that's a very good point. Sister Perkins states, don't give up on anyone you're mentoring. Watch God move in the midst. You may give out, but don't give up. Be steadfast and unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. Someone had to mentor you. So that's good. Steadfastness in mentoring. Don't be so quick to throw in the towel because someone doesn't appear to be the fast learner that you might be. That's an excellent point, Sister Perkins. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. Well, my friends, let's... Um, Let's go to, uh, we, we've gotten these pointers. Let, let's go on to the matter at hand. Remember that in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, um, we have, oh, I didn't give, I didn't finish the instruction. You do use the number, but you also press star 6 to be unmuted. And so I'm going to say that just in case somebody did dial but didn't know that he or she had to press star six to be heard. So I will do that. I don't want to give conflicting instruction. You dial the number, but then you press star six and get on. All right. Then uh, there's another pointer here. Mentors empower others to see a possible future and then guide them as to how it may be contained. Obtain, obtain. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. That is certainly a great principle. Let's go back. John the Baptist, in the 19th verse of chapter one, is being interrogated as to who he is. John is being interrogated as to who he is, but nobody would have asked him who he is or who he was, had it not been for the impact of what he did, all right? What you do will call attention to who you are. But people are not first interested in who you are, but they will be impacted, professional, by what you do. But when you do what you do with excellence, it will cause there to be attention drawn to who you are. And John began to say, John the Baptist, that is, when they asked him, he told them who he was not because he knew what they were they were hinting at. He knew what they were inferring. I'm not the Christ. I'm not that prophet. I'm not Elijah. Well, who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I know who I am. I know my assignment. What was John's assignment? Essentially, 
to prepare his nation for the Messiah and to prepare and present Messiah to the people. That's that's his assignment. That's his assignment. And uh, John has been very effective in the fulfillment of his assignment. He has definitely caused the whole nation to come to attention and many in the nation to come to repentance. And there is a heightened expectation of what's next. I wonder if there's anyone who's listening to me today who has a heightened expectation of what's next. You know, at the, uh, at the, at the banquet in honor of pastors, Clark, pastor and first lady Clark, uh, this past weekend, uh, Saturday, I shared a lesson entitled The Watchman's Stand. And there is a passage there in the book of Isaiah, chapter 21, I believe it is, where the, uh, the, the cry comes to the watchman. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? Tell me what time it is. What time is it? And the Bible says, uh, what's the condition of the night? What's, what's going on tonight? And the watchman responds, the morning is coming and also the night. The watchman says, there's some powerful things on the horizon. I see night, excuse me, yes. I see night coming, but I also see the day coming. And I think that many of us have a heightened expectation and a heightened awareness of day and of night. In other words, we can see revival. We can come, we can see a move of God. We can see the hand of the Lord prevailing. We can see God lifting his people, but we can also see the enemy intensifying his works. The morning cometh and also the night. The morning cometh and also the night. And now is the time to prepare ourselves because the more powerfully prepared we are for the morning, the more resistance we have and repudiation we have, resistance we have for the night. Amen. All right. So John has a prophet a prophetic voice. Now, I'm not just talking about fivefold ministry prophet, but a prophetic voice, a person with a prophetic mandate. God bless you, First Lady Brown. Helps to heighten your expectation that something powerful is about to hit. One of the things, and and I, I mean this sincerely, but. I, I, I don't mean it in a grandiose sense. I really don't. One of the things that was a great advantage for me having a prophet as my pastor is that he kept us on high alert. He really did. He kept us on high alert. He kept us expecting something powerful from God to happen. And I'm telling you, I'm living on that right now. I'm living on that same impulse, that same heightened alert um, mindset and state of consciousness right now. And what I 
was about to say in terms of humbly, but sincerely, I hope that as a leader, that what it is that I share with the people that I'm called to lead and who have submitted to our leadership, that I help to keep them on a heightened alert. I hope, I hope that I don't fan people to sleep. I don't just mean physical sleep. I mean, unconsciousness that the morning is coming, but the night is coming also. I hope that the people that I lead understand God to be saying, opportunities, promises, privileges are at hand, but also the enemy has come down with full wrath knowing that they have but a short time. I hope, Lord knows I do. I hope that the people that I'm leading are on heightened alert, that the morning is coming and yet the night is coming as well. All right, this is John. That's what John is doing. He's telling them the morning is coming and the night is coming as well. And you've got to be ready. Does that make sense? I could really stay there. When you're on high alert, you pray differently. When you're on high alert, you study and meditate differently. When you're on high alert, you see people differently. You see ministry differently. And as relates to uh, the other professions, you see your profession differently. When you're on high alert, you understand, educator, you're on a mission. You understand, healthcare professional, you're on a mission. You understand those of you that are in retail and investments and so forth, you're on a mission. Parent, you understand you're on a mission. When you're on high alert, when you have prophetic sensitivity, again now, I'm not talking about the way people trivialize the prophetic. I'm talking about a consciousness that really does take me back to last night. Um, I, I, the, the, the title of last night's lesson was the blessing of the burden and um, the definition of burden is as follows. The burden of a prophet seems to be a heavy consciousness, awareness, sensitivity of what God is saying or doing regarding some entity, the implications of what God is saying or doing and of his or her responsibility in that regard. I'm conscious of it. I'm conscious of the of, of what he's saying or doing. I I understand the implications of what he's saying or doing, and I understand my responsibility with regard to what he's saying or doing. That's the prophetic burden. Okay? And it's it's it is the prophetic voice is on the prophetic person is on high alert, but those to whom he or she is assigned are kept on high alert as well. Isaiah said in the fifth, second chapter of Isaiah, verse one, awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Awake, awake. You see it? Can you see it? 
So John, John had the people on high alert. Something's about to go off in here. Something's about to take place. All right. So John knows his sender. He knows himself. He knows his superior. He knows his skills. He knows his service. He knows his scope. He knows his schedule. And now we move to the satisfaction and the successors. What is his satisfaction? Well, his satisfaction is knowing that he's completed his service. Remember, we gave the illustration of the Hebrew wedding and marriage in which uh, John in chapter three of the, of the book of John says that he is the friend of the bridegroom. <clears throat> we talked about the fact that the individual that would be parallel to in our day, the best man in a wedding, this individual would be what they called the friend of the bridegroom. And what would happen is that there was the betrothal, the promise of marriage and the legal side of the marriage that took place about a year before the actual consummation. That is when the man and the woman begin to live together physically. And when the betrothal took place, there was a certain level of feasting and contractual agreement. And then the groom would go to build groom slash husband because he's already legally the husband. He's just not physically uh, the husband yet. And so he's going to prepare a place for his wife and himself to live. And when he does that, after he'll have done that, he comes back, comes back. And um, the bride doesn't know exactly when he's going to come. And so she has to be ready. That sounds like familiar language in the Gospels, doesn't it? She has to be ready. And then there's a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Well, everybody hurries and gets themselves together because now we're going to have the marriage feast. We already had the betrothal, but now we're getting ready to have the banquet, the, 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 the whole celebration. But before the celebration begins, the bride and the groom leave the wedding hall, leave, leave the feast setting and go to a separate chamber that's been prepared for them, a private chamber at some distance away from the wedding hall. Far enough away that nobody at the wedding hall would be able to hear them. All right. And the, the best man, the friend of the bridegroom accompanies them a part of the distance. And then he stays about midway between the banqueting hall and the bridal and bridegroom's chamber. He's far enough away from them that they have their privacy. But he's close enough that he can hear if the bridegroom calls him. And he's close enough to the hall that they can hear him when he calls them. Because what's going to happen is that after the bride and groom have consummated their relationship physically, the groom is going to come out and yell, a marriage is made in Israel. The, the, the friend of the bridegroom hears that 
And he gets excited because that means, hey, my boy, he's married now. And he's excited because now the party can get started. So he yells back to the people at the bridal or the wedding hall, a marriage is made in Israel. I'm the voice of one. And once they hear him, they get excited and they start the party. Have that? And John said, this, my joy, is fulfilled. Why? Because the nation is the bride, Jesus is the groom, and now that Jesus has arisen and begun to teach and preach, John said, that's all I wanted. That's all I came for. That was my assignment, to prepare the nation for him and him for them. They're together. A marriage is made in Israel. See that in John chapter 3? He said, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Verse 30, you see that? John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. He said, it, it's only up for him but I'm actually coming into, into a place of decline from a ministerial perspective. Now, John facilitated that. He didn't just prophesy that. He facilitated that. How did he do it? John had disciples. John had followers. John had mentees. John had spiritual sons and daughters. Look at John chapter 1. And the Bible says, chapter 1, verse 35, again, the next day after John stood and her, and two of his disciples, John and who else? Two of his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. He tells his disciples, he tells his mentees, he tells his understudies. Look, he is the Lamb of God. He's the most important person on the earth, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. I'm talking about successors, satisfaction, and successors. Now, you see where John got his satisfaction in knowing that Jesus is connected to people. But now, as a, as, a, as a mentor, you're never satisfied till you see your students succeeding. You're not completely satisfied, you understand. So Jesus is one of John's students, so to speak. He baptized Jesus and presented him. So he's definitely excited about Jesus, but Jesus is not his only disciple. That's why we have successor with an S on it. Because not only does Jesus come after John, but John is responsible for what happens to those who follow him after uh, he departs. And so John begins to point them to Jesus. Remember what I told you. Remember what I told you last time. That is that when you understand, when you understand that you don't have what it takes to take your student to the next level. When you understand that you don't have what it takes to take your son or daughter to the next level, you don't hold back on them 
because you don't have it. You identify someone who has the competency and the character to help them to come to the next level and you point them in that direction. And as I stated last time, I would encourage you to go back to last time session. It takes humility, courage, and confidence to tell someone who has always looked to you that there's some things that I know you need for your shaping, your development, your maturation, your equipping that I do not have the wherewithal to give you, but I have identified a resource person who can share that with you. And I'm pointing you in his or her direction. I gave the illustration of the single mother who has, has a son or the single father who has a daughter. That son still needs a man. That daughter still needs a woman to mentor them in those regards. Doesn't mean that mother can't raise a son. Oh, yes, she can. It's been proven. Doesn't mean that man can't raise a daughter. Oh, yes, he can. It has been proven. But that woman can't be a man to her young man. That man can't be a woman to his young woman. You understand? So in other words, there's some things of which I'm not capable. And I've got to identify someone who has the competency and the character to aid you on your journey and then entrust you to expose you to that individual. I told you that it takes humility, courage, and confidence. Why do you mean confidence? Confidence in yourself. Confidence in knowing that exposing them to someone else doesn't make me less. Exposing them to someone else doesn't mean they're going to stop loving me. I believe that I've raised them well enough that they know there will never be anybody who can replace me. And if there is someone who replaces me, then maybe, obviously, there's something broken in the system. Here's a, an illustration that I think clarifies it beautifully. Now, I believe in homeschooling for those who can do homeschooling, but just follow me. Have you ever had the experience of the first day at school for a child? First day away from the parent, first day away from the house, first day away from PBS kids, first day away from mama's breakfast food and mama's lunch food, first day wearing a, a, a little school uniform and having a little backpack. All of, have you ever seen that? Do you know that that's a hard day? for most parents and many children. It's a hard day when you, let me tell you something. When Michaela went to school, Michaela's our older child, first child. When Michaela went to school, that was a problem for me because Michaela used to, um, be up or get up when I came home at night. It didn't matter to a large extent. It didn't matter what time it was. When she heard my key turn in the door, I would hear her coming. 
And you don't know what well, you, you probably do know, but I, I can't express to you how affirming and gratifying that was for my little girl to come because I'm important enough when I'm coming in the door for her to get up and come to where I am with her pink footy pajamas on. That, that did something to me and for me that I'll never forget. When it was time for her to go to school, and that means that she's got to be in the bed at a certain time and she's got to stay in the bed and all that kind of thing. Oh, that 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 broke me. That broke me. I, I don't mean I broke down. I mean, but that did something to me because that means that that connection that we had, that part of the connection we can't have because she's got to sleep. I would have listened to me well. All of that is, thank you, Sister Garrett, and thank you, whoever else that was. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. All got a heart from Sister Koswana. That's beautiful. Let me tell you one thing. I would have been a fool, class A fool, because I enjoy the gratification of my daughter coming, when she hears me coming in late at night, I enjoyed that so much that I won't let her go to school and allow her to be illiterate. You mean what? I'm going to allow my child to become illiteracy. My child who now is in her last year of law school, I'm going to render her illiterate and forever dependent upon me because I like the sound of her coming when I open the door. I would have been a class A fool. Hear me? I could not, I wouldn't even think of it, deprive her of becoming for my own satisfaction. Well, see, that's what happens when you have uh, someone that you've mentored and that you've brought to a certain point, you've, you've taught to a certain extent and so forth, but you know that there's some things they need that you just are not able to provide. And so the release of that individual, not, not abandonment now, not detachment, but the release, the, the permission, the permission, that's a leadership conference lesson of 2020 on the Thursday evening, giving them permission to grow beyond you, the permission to grow beyond your knowledge or your understanding or your competencies, Give them permission to become. One of the greatest things that a leader provides for you is permission for you to become what God has ordained. You understand? You have to give permission. When that mother, when that mother walks out of that classroom, and she told her, oh, you got all these nice friends and look at look at all of these uh, toys and look at the ABCs and all that kind of thing. And that child maybe cries a little bit. And you've got to say, oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And you leave with a big smile on your face as far as the child is concerned. You get back in that car. You feel like going marching right back in that classroom and bringing your child out, don't you? 
And then if the child, like some of them, if the child got to the classroom and almost forgot you, act like you weren't even there, then that hurts you even more. You understand? But in both cases, you've got to give that child permission to become John, says to his disciples. You see that one right there? He's got your next level. He's got your next level. You see him? That's the Lamb of God. Notice, notice that, no, come on, McAvee. Notice, friends, that John didn't say, oh, he, he all right, he all right, but, you know. Uh -uh. He told them exactly what Jesus' competencies were. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They're not going to lose respect for John. They're not going to ever forget who John is. They're, they're never going to forget how John has blessed their lives. But the greatest blessing that John ever bestowed upon their lives is to point them to the one who can bring them to the fullness of what John put in them to start with. All right. Listen to what happens. Um, verse 37. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Wow. He opened, he opened them up. I heard, um, I heard Pastor Bellamy this morning in her comp in her comments mention that not only does she and of course, Bishop attempt to mentor the people whom they serve, but they also point them to other resources that they themselves benefit from. That's a healthy system. Teaching is not controlling. Spiritual parenting and pastoring is not controlling. It's not. It is directing. Okay, it is instructing, it is discipline, but it's not controlling. If God doesn't make us do anything, then how dare I try to make anybody do anything? And they're grown to? Absolutely not. I'm going to give you the ways of the Lord. I'm going to compel you to obey him, but I can't constrain or force you to obey him. I'm, I can compel by the strength of my teaching, preaching example, but as far as a physical compulsion or physical constraint, no, 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 you grown. All right. So, so you see this, uh, John exposes his mentees to other resources that, and to the resource that he himself is looking to. That's a healthy situation. When people, try to make you think that the whole world revolves around them, they may be sweet, but they're toxic. They may have good intentions, but they're dangerous. Does that make sense? If someone tries to teach you that he or she is the only 
individual has anything of value to add to your life, that's dangerous. That's cultish. Be very careful. I'm not saying they're not people of God. I'm not telling you they're not loving and lovable. I'm just telling you, you gotta, you gotta understand that that's not healthy. That's not healthy. Even the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Paul said, you have not many fathers, but Paul never said that you only have one person who can feed into you. He said, he said, I planted. He said, Apollos withered, uh, watered, excuse me. Uh, uh, excuse me. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the, they gave the increase. He confirms, he confirms Apollos contribution. Now, I know that this is a difficult teaching. Here's why it's a difficult teaching. It's difficult because so many mentors, leaders, church leaders, business leaders, business leader, you put everything you know into that loved one. You put everything you know into that mentee. And he goes down the street and duplicates what you're doing. In other words, he in the same market. Why would you why would you do that in the same market? You know that's going to take away from this person's clientele. You know that this is going to take away from this person's customer base. Why would you do that? At least go over town, across town, right? At least go to the next town. At least go to the next county. But you're going to go right down the street and duplicate what someone else who taught you, who gave you a chance has done. See, that has happened many times. And that's there's a wounding in that. There's a wounding that comes in that. So this is a difficult kind of teaching because I understand that there's both sides of it. And I understand that sometimes when you give people what I'm talking about, that kind of freedom and permission and so forth, in other words, that's what your system has in it. Then you do open yourself up to the individual who does not appreciate and does not have gratitude for what you have imparted. That is a risk that mentors and true pastors and shepherds and parents, it's a risk that you take, but it's a risk that has to be taken. Un uh, unfortunately, in a sense, it's a risk that has to be taken. Uh, I'll I'll begin to close with this. Well, one other statement than this. First, as a mentee, always be grateful to and grateful for and respectful of those who have imparted into your life. Always, always be grateful to, grateful for, respectful to those are respectful of those who have contributed to your life. Never forget them. Never forget them. Even if they do, Brother Johnson, become solish toward you, you make sure you always David toward them. You make sure you always show up for special occasions. 
if they'll let you in. If they won't let you in, send something. Make sure that when they're being celebrated, you're one of the ones applauding as well. Never forget, never cease to be grateful to and grateful for and respectful of those who have contributed to who you are, to your shaping, your making. Never forget them. It doesn't matter who you're sitting with now. It doesn't matter how high your office is now. It doesn't matter uh, what circles you operate in. Don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget. Don't you ever disrespect. Don't you ever cease to be thankful for those who have contributed to your development. And then teacher, leader, pastor, father, mother, mentor, don't you ever hold someone back because you're afraid that if they become what they could become, they might leave you. If they learn what they could learn, they might outgrow you. If they flourish the way they could flourish, it might not inure to your personal benefit. Don't you dare make somebody less so that you can be more. Don't you dare do it. Paul told the church at Ephesus and the leaders of the church of Ephesus, he said, I have held nothing back from you. He said, but I have declared unto you the whole counsel of God. He said, I've held back nothing that was profitable for you. I haven't held any of it back. Did you hear that? I won't be able to go to the other that I was going to mention, so I might as well just close with Acts chapter 20. This is the reference that I'm uh, uh, speaking of. It's the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, in the 20th verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. See, anything that's going to make you better, I didn't hold it back. Now, please don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand. You don't give your keys to a 10-year-old. That's not what I'm saying. You have to see levels of maturity to entrust those that you're developing with certain accesses. So don't get my instruction twisted today. When I say don't hold anything back, what I'm saying is you do not hold it back as an attitude. You may have to hold things back as a process and a sequence of instruction. Uh, it's almost like these individuals in our culture today who for whatever reason, for whatever reason, can't understand why certain levels of sex education do not need to be exposed to children who are third grade or below. Could you just, could you teach them to read and write? Can you teach them to color? Can you teach them some nice songs and some nice stories? Can you teach them some basic people skills and how to get along, how to play together on the playground, how to share, how to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Could you save that level of information 
it doesn't mean that we don't want them to know their sexual beings, but there's a sequence. There's a timing. You follow? So when we say holding back, don't hold back, we don't mean expose people to all the information and all the different levels of it all at one time. That's not a wise teacher. You're not in kindergarten trying to teach calculus and they don't know math. They don't know addition. So there is a sequencing. There is a systematizing. You follow? So when I say you're not holding back, I don't mean that you don't just, you have to be very careful not to overload people with information that they're not ready to process because their processing mechanisms have not been developed yet. You don't give that baby that you're supposed to be serving uh, applesauce, you don't give them a piece of steak, medium rare. They don't even have teeth. I, I don't hold nothing back. You're in one of, uh, one of those people I was talking about earlier. No, when I say not holding things back, I mean, I'm not going to withhold from you when you're at a level where you are ready to move to the next. I'm not going to withhold access to the next because somehow I want to control you because I want you to need me. You see, you see the difference? All right. I must let you go, but I'm so hopeful that what we've shared today is challenging to the mentor and challenging to the mentee, challenging to the teacher and to the student, to the parent and to the child, to the pastor and to the parishioner. John derives great satisfaction from seeing the success of his mentees and his disciples. There is no satisfaction for a teacher like the success of the student. You follow that? And John is now in the process of preparing his students for next. Listen to me, listen to me well. And John, although they don't know it, John is actually preparing his students for a next without him. John is preparing them for a next in which they will not have him physically present with them. You know what? All of us who are parents and mentors and pastors and other leaders, business leaders, you must prepare the people whom you serve for the reality of a time when you will not be physically accessible to them. When we have a situation that's a really life-giving, affirming situation, many times we sing the song, I don't remember who made it, but it's in the 70s or 80s, Make It Last Forever, the love song. And, and, and that's the way we kind of think, that it's going to last forever. But no, your teacher, your mentor, you as a teacher, you as a mentor must be preparing your students, 
must be preparing your mentees, must be preparing your, your children for the day when they do not any longer have the physical access to you that they once had. We'll talk more about that. Thank you, Pastor Dix. Keith Sweat, 1988. <laughs> I should have known there was somebody who had the background resource. Thank you, Pastor Dix. As we depart from one another today, I want you to go forth today, as always, go forth and lead on high alert. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we shall bring pleasure to Christ's heart. Together, we shall bring fame to his name. Till we meet again, may the peace of our eternal God go with you. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes to join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.